He is risen. Uh, I love Easter. It's uh, one of the two days during the year that I wear a suit. Uh, I am excited about, about Easter. I'm excited about serving the Lord. I'm, I am excited that you are here. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments about five simple words. Five simple words that if you understand them, you grasp them, you embrace them, will transform your life. Five simple words. Do you have any, any hobbies or things that you like to do that are a little bit quirky? I know you do. Uh, I'm, I'm going to confess one of the ones that I like to do. It started when I was a teen. I like to go to cemeteries and read the, uh, the stuff that's on the tombstones. I don't, like the to- I don't like the cemetery. I just like to read what's on the, on, the, on the markers. Because it tells a lot about that person or it tells a lot about that family. And I was, uh, I, I've been to a lot of them. I, you know, I've been over to, you know, in, in the South, they have a lot of the Civil War. And I've been to those and it's pretty amazing. I've been to Normandy and, and I've seen the row after row after row of white crosses, which is just not only breathtaking, but it, it will give you pause when you start reading how young those men and women were that gave their life. Been to the uh, catacombs where you see stacks, perfectly stacked bones and then skulls across the top. It's really weird. Went to a cemetery in Paris where, you know, all the, all the famous poets and, and politicians and musicians and actors and actresses are, are buried. And I found it fascinating that, that the one grave that is visited most was Morrison from the doors. It's incredible. But, uh, but there is one, one that really spoke to me. Back in 1982, I, I found myself in a, in a town called Fort Smith, Arkansas. If you don't know where it's at, you haven't missed a whole lot. Uh, at one time, it was Fort Smith because... Uh, you know, that was the, the last post before you went into the Oklahoma Territory, the Indian Territory. So they had hanging Judge Parker because if they caught anybody, they just hung them before they got over into the Indian Territory. But I was in, in an old cemetery in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I was on a, on a fall day, beautiful day. It had a nice blue sky with just wispy clouds, just a gentle breeze that was kind of uh, rustling the the leaves around. Don't you love days like that? Especially after a hot summer. It's just a nice, great day. And, and, and the leaves were making this melody. And I, I believe because I'm, I don't know, maybe it's my ego, but I just think that they were having a, have a song just for me. But I was going through uh, this cemetery. And, and as I explored all the memorials in this cemetery... And many of them were just beautifully crafted and, and out of the finest stone. And, and there was one in particular that caught my eye. You ever been walking and just all of a sudden something catches your eye and you stop? You have to stop and, and, and consider it. And it wasn't that it was garnished with, with, with 
amazing things or, or refined or even stately. There were no eloquent words from loved ones engraved to remind others that that was a person worthy of remembrance. As I, as I explored, I noticed that there, are many, there were many memorials that remind us of how great a person was. That person it was a beloved spouse or a devoted father or a beloved mother or a brother or a sister. But not this one. This solitary edifice gave not a whisper of the relationship that person had with their family or friends. This marker didn't uh, speak of any commemorative service or to country or to family. Or There are many a man and woman that, that have had served our country and have been rewarded with towering statues uh, or a commemorative dedication. But not this one. This epitaph spoke of nothing the person accomplished in life, whether in relationship or in service. You know, there's been many noteworthy statesperson that, that have a statement of, that have, they've created of their own, and it's engraved on a marker for all to read to remind of how great or how much influence that person had, but not this one. There was no phrase of their own that was found on this simple marker. Just five simple words. And these five simple words preached a sermon from beyond this life that brought me to tears. As I contemplated the, the inscription, I, I found myself being moved within my spirit. Have you ever, you ever been there where, where you read something or you see something and just inside you're just so moved that it brings you to tears? I'm sure that the observers around me thought, oh, he's, he's mourning the loss of a loved one, but that wasn't it. I appeared as though I was in grief, but the opposite was really true. As I stood there, the meaning of these five simple words navigated through the sea of self and anchored deep in the harbor of my heart. See, these five simple words from a person unknown preached a sermon that was more eloquent, more profound, and more personal than all of the others I had heard and that I've heard since. These five simple words spoke to me. Have you ever had words speak to you? They proclaimed to my very soul the very meaning and essence of life. I began to rehearse these words over and over and rehearsing these five simple words affirm the reason for being a Christian. And it indelibly etched in my heart and in my mind the true meaning of life. See, these five simple words have been my song in the midnight hour of life. 
when everything was dark, when everything had turned upside down, when I could not find my way. These five simple words have navigated me to a place of light and safety. These same five simple words have have cradled me in the arms of love when it seemed like there was no one there that cared, no one that loved, no arm to put around your shoulders. When I look at these five simple words, they embrace me and cradle me as a parent does a child. These five simple words have brought hope to hopeless situations. When I didn't know what to do, when I felt despair in my heart. You ever felt despair? You ever been in that place where you didn't know which way to turn? That you were so low that you could play handball on the curb? I've been there. You've been there. And yet these five simple words, five simple words have brought hope to hopeless situations. These five simple words have unleashed my soul from the sin and care of this world. When, when sin has crept in, when, when the adversary says, You're, you can't serve Christ because look what you've done, look where you've been, look what you said, look who you offended, look how many people you have hurt. When, when the world around me, when the adversary of my soul begins to to pummel me with, with the events of my life. These five simple words have brought victory and freedom and deliverance. These same five simple words have brought understanding to a confused mind. When you didn't know what to do, when you didn't know where to turn, when you didn't know how things were going to work out, when you tried to have clarity of thought and mind and presence of mind, but they were fleeting and could not be found. Rehearsing these five simple words brings purpose and clarity of thought. See, these five simple words, when you believe them and act on, and act on them, can change your life for eternity. Five simple words, when, you, when, you, when believed and understood and acted on, will lift your spirit, restore your mind, and calm your emotions. You may say, oh, well, I never have to have my emotions calmed. I would say to you, you don't have children and grandchildren. Five simple words, spoken from a person unknown to me, and I would say most everyone that would read them, they give hope and purpose and meaning of life. A person so resolute in their faith that their desire, even in death, was to proclaim their faith. Powerful words. Five simple words. 
these five simple words. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. When I, when I read that, that marker and then I stopped, I started considering, allowed those words to mull over in my mind and they, they drifted 18 inches from my mind to my heart and I began to not only understand them with my mind, but I began to feel them with my emotions and and the Spirit of the Lord began to speak into my, my life. And, and as I looked at them and as I considered them, there were several thoughts that came to mind. And, and the first one is this, is that I know. I know. I know. I have knowledge. I have understanding. I have comprehension. I know. There's no doubt. There's no chance of a mistake. I know. I know. Not my parents, not my pastor, not my family, not my friends, not my mom, not my dad, but me, myself, I know. It's kind of like when you were in school and the teacher asked a question and you had actually read the book and you raised your hand because you knew the answer. It's like, pick me, pick me. I know the answer. I know. I know. And as I, as I stood there and I asked myself this question, what do you know? What do you know? What do I know about myself? What do I know about my Redeemer? Here's some things that came to mind. I know I needed a Redeemer. I know I needed one. And you say, well, how did you know that? There's two significant ways. One, the Word of God tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I know through reading the scripture that, that, that I could not pull myself up by my bootstraps because I didn't have any boots. That's the problem, is you can't help yourself when, when there's nothing to help yourself with. I know. I know I needed a, a redeemer. I knew I could not help myself. The word of God says it. But there's a second way. I knew deep in here. From the time I was a child, I knew that there was something missing. Something I tried to fill a void in my life that I tried to fill with various things in life, but nothing satisfied. I knew that, that I, there was a creator and that I was distant from that creator, that there was something separating me from my eternal creator. There was something in me. I knew I needed a redeemer. I knew I needed to be set free. What else I know is that I, I know I was separated from God and could not help myself. I also know that, that God saw the need that I had and saw the need that you had, just saw, saw the need that humanity had and decided to act on it. We could not help ourselves, but he could help us. And he did. And I know that according to Scripture that, that 
that man was impossible uh, of being able to provide a sacrifice that was pleasing to God, but because it had to be perfect, and none of us are perfect. And there's no amount of, of animal sacrifice that would ever appease God because they are not good enough to, to take the, the stain of sin from us. Christ came. He knew that we needed a Redeemer. He knew that He had to be perfect. So Christ Himself came in order to be my Redeemer, to be your Redeemer. And I know it. I know that God became man in order to become a sacrifice to redeem. I know that Christ walked this earth a perfect human without sin. I know he allowed himself to be mocked, ridiculed, scorned, beaten, spit upon. I know he died for my sin. And if that's all he did, that would be great, but it wouldn't be sufficient. Because dying for my sin is one thing, because in reality I can die, and so can you. And one of these days we're all going to prove it. But what I also know is that not only did he die, but he rose the third day. And I want you to consider that for a moment. The only person that has ever risen from the dead. The only person that has ever defeated death. I know he, defeats, he defeated death. I know that he cleanses sinners. I know that he heals the sick. I know that one day he is going to come back and as, and as Sam said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I know that is going to happen. And I don't really concern myself with how this world looks or how this world thinks, or how this world perceives how things are going to happen in the future, because it's, I already know how it's going to happen. I know that I know that I know that Christ died, Christ lives, Christ lives in me, and He will come back. I know. I know that He is my all-sufficient Lord and Savior. There's a second thought that came to my mind. You're thinking, oh, Lord, how many thoughts did he have? I had a lot of them. I'm only going to share three of them with you. The second thought that came to mind was that I know that, that he is my redeemer. My redeemer. Christ is my redeemer. Personal pronoun, mine. I have a coffee mug in my office that's got all those little seagulls from Finding Nemo, and it says, mine, mine, mine. That's my coffee mug. I never wash it because I don't want anybody using it. <laughs> A little bit of information you probably didn't even need to know, did you? Christ is mine. He's my Redeemer. He's not mine in terms of, of personal possession because I don't own him. I mean, I can own a car. 
I can own a house. I can even own a cat or a dog. But you can't own a Redeemer. Because Christ is my Redeemer, not in the sense of ownership, but in the sense of victor, champion. See, He's my Redeemer because He removed the curse of the law for me. When I needed a champion, somebody to step into my place because the adversary of my soul had the goods on me, and I was in that arena, and I knew that that sin was going to be pronounced on me. I had a champion that stepped up, the Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, and He is the one that defeated the adversary. He made an open show of Him. That, that when Christ died, he rose again and made an open display uh, of our adversary, of the devil, of the one that torments you, the one that tricks you, the one that belittles you, the one that gets you to try to do things that, that oppose God and then turns around and accuses you and belittles you. He took him and made an open display of him. He's my champion. He's my redeemer. Scripture says in, in Hebrews 9, 12, it says this, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What Christ did on the cross when he shed his blood and he rose again was he cleansed the heavens and he cleansed us so we could have a way into the holy place, into the very presence of God. He championed for us what we could not champion ourselves. I needed a Redeemer. I needed a Redeemer to, for, to buy me back. See, I didn't have the capital to buy my pardon. There's not enough money in the world to buy your freedom. Nobody has that much because the penalty, the payment, the redemption for humanity cannot be bought with a monetary gain. And yet Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And yet He died for you and He died for me. We were hopeless and, and lost and without hope. We were hopeless. Have you ever felt hopeless? Have you ever felt like the whole world was against you? You know, it's easy sometimes if, if, if we're raised in, 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 a, in, a, in a traditional family and everything's gone our way to say God is good, but what about those that have had the whole world turn against them, that it has everything in their life has been turned upside down? To say that there, that there is hope to somebody that has had struggles in their life, I would say this, this life itself it is full of sorrow, but God is good, and God redeems, and God brings hope. And anything that's good in this life comes from our Father which is above. 
men may scheme and do things that are contrary to God and may hurt, but God is good. So what is redemption? Well, redemption is really deliverance. It's redeeming. I've used that before, but you remember when some of us remember, I guess, when we were kids and, and they had the S&H green stamp stores. You remember those? Those were beauties. And what, what it was for anybody that's a millennial or, or so, um, they don't have those anymore. You can thank God for that. Uh, but you would go to the grocery store and they would give you like these, these stamps, these little S&H green stamps, and then you get a little book. And what you had to do is you had to paste the stamps in the book. And when you got enough books, you could go to the S&H green stamp store, which was called a redemption center, and you would give them the books. And then, and if you had enough books, you could get anything in there off of the shelves. Like, you know, I know my mom always liked to get like stupid stuff like dishes. She never bought the good stuff like the toy section. But I remember saving those, and, and man, you'd lick so many stamps. I, I wasn't really smart. I didn't know to get a sponge. You know, your tongue would swell up. You know, you'd take them to, to the redemption store, but you couldn't, he couldn't even understand what you were saying because your tongue was swollen up. But it was a redemption center. You, you gave those, and, and then you were able to get whatever... You want it. That's what a redeemer is. Christ's life, Christ's death redeemed us, bought us back from death. It's just deliverance is what it really amounts to. See, the blood of Christ was our ransom. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ died and rose again for us. I, I look at that and it just amazes me all the things that Christ did for us. And, and if I can get my page to turn, and there it is. Redemption from sin. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. See, He redeemed us. There is a day of redemption that's coming when the Lord comes back and we will be redeemed from the troubles of this life. But the redemption takes place. It begins from the time we bow our knee and confess that we need a Redeemer. And when we ask the Lord to, to forgive us, to be our Lord and Savior, the redemption process begins. It starts. And, to, and if you want to look at it, it's finished. We're just waiting for that final result. Redemption. Here's the final thought. I know my Redeemer lives. Lives. Christ lives. Not lived. Past tense. Not will live again. Future tense. But present tense. Right now, today, Jesus is alive. 
See, right now as we share this same space and we breathe the same oxygen and Christ Jesus is alive and well and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Christ is alive. It's true that he lived some 2,000 years ago. It's true that he walked this earth for, for 33 and a half years. And it is true that he was crucified and that he died. But it's also true that he rose again and that he didn't rise again just for a day or for a week, but for eternity, Christ is alive. You say, well, how? How is Christ alive? Because what gives death its power is sin. And Christ was sinless, so therefore there was nothing to hold him in, in death because death had no power. Christ conquered death through his own morality, through his own purity. Death had no claim on him. And because he lives, we live. Because he is life, we have life. For there is one God and one mediator between God and a man, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because he lives, we live. And what does it mean to, to say that Christ lives? To be honest, the whole corpus of Christian doctrine and faith rises and falls on this one concept. The resurrection of Christ from the dead. Christ conquered death. What Christ did to defeat death for our benefit. Jesus said this in John 14, 19. Because I live, you too shall live. Because he lives, we live. Paul told the church in Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, he said, if we believe that Christ did not rise from the dead, we are the most miserable people on this earth. See, it's, it's not good enough for somebody to be good. It's not good enough for somebody to love you so much that they would die for you. But Jesus is the only one that died and rose again. He is the one that gives eternal life. Because when he rose, he took death captive. He defeated death, our number one enemy. That's why when, when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise and, and we rise in, into the sky to meet the Lord in the air, there's going to be a time where we're going to be able to look back and say, Death, where is your sting now? Because he lives. We have a right to praise the Lord. We have a right to serve Christ because there is no one else. There is no other redeemer. There's no other victor. There's no other way. There is no other person that has ever conquered death. You can look at the gravesites of many of amazing men and women. And they're still there in the grave. Buddha is still there. Confucius is still there. Muhammad is still there. But Jesus is not. 
five simple words. I'm going to ask our praise team to come. Five simple words that if you embrace them will transform your life. I know my Redeemer lives. Can I ask you a question? Do you know that He lives? Is He real and present in your life? If He is, you have a right to celebrate. If He's not, you have a right to celebrate because Jesus said, Come unto me all, you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is not a greater experience that you can have in your life than knowing that Jesus Christ lives and rules and reigns in here. And that is for not just for me, but for all that will come to him.